0: Have you, have you finished now? Am I on? Oh, great. Hey, um, it's great to be with you. Um, I came over here um, two years ago and uh, with um, Antley, uh, well, uh, two years in December, and it was kind of one of the first kind of core group meetings um, that, uh, that River City had before it even got started. It, a lot of it took place at Charles uh, Martin's house and that in Virginia's house and um, it's taken me um, almost two years to recover from that and to now come back. Um, but it was—it's so good uh, to be with you. And um, you know, I love Antley and Laura. Uh, they're great friends, and uh, I have a similar background to Antley in that I—I kind of came from youth ministry, um, sole survivor in the UK. And um, and it's—it's it's, you know, the, God kind of continues um, to surprise me with just little kind of. Like moments in my life when when he reminds me of something that took place, and then you see w- what's happened in the future. And one of those little moments w- happened to me this morning, and, uh, and that was when Lex was leading worship. Because um, one of the first times I met Lex was over, I think it was 2000. Might even be 19. I think it was the, it was the summer of 2000. Okay, 2001. So just six years ago. And um, I went on a, a, a kind of like ministry trip um, to Finland in Scandinavia. And, um, and I took Chris Jones with me and Lex. And, um, and Lex kind of um, was sort of a last minute thing and we got her on the trip. And, um, and she um, shared her testimony for the first time. And she was bricking it. She was really scared, really nervous. And to kind of see where she is now sort of six years on, leading worship here at River City Church. I just think it's an amazing testimony of what God is doing in people's lives. And it's an amazing testimony of what God is doing in this church. So um, it's great to be with uh, Lex and Paul as well and uh, Ed. And I've got quite a few friends here um, from previous visits and people that have come over to um, um, St. Mary's. So it is wonderful to be with you. It's also wonderful um, on Wednesday to celebrate with you, you know, that great gift of independence that the British government gave you in 1776. <laughs> So, um, I hope you receive that as a gift of grace from us to you. Um, I'm actually here to take it back. Um, and John Peters has asked me to close the church down, so if you'd like to leave now, it's over. No. Well, over the next three weeks, I'm going to um, hopefully teach on the Kingdom of God. And it seems to me more than any subject, um, the Kingdom of God was always on the mind of Jesus, particularly when we look in the Synoptic Gospels. It was, it was always on his mind. It was integral to his life and ministry. And Mark's gospel introduces the public ministry of Jesus with this statement from Jesus in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is now fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this position, this, the position of this statement right at the beginning of Mark's gospel leads us to only conclude that the proclamation of the kingdom of God was central right at the heart of the preaching of Jesus. So the kingdom of God. Well, this morning we're going to begin by looking at kingdom identity. What does your identity look like? When you became a Christian and you you became a partner in the kingdom of God, what does that look like for you? Let me ask you, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? Who do you see? Now, at different times and in different places, we might see a different person. I can remember as a child that, you know, you rarely look at yourself in the mirror. You know, we don't care about how our hair looks. We don't care really about what we put on. You know, our moms and our dads dress us up. And we just, basically, we are just going kind to of get dressed, put our pants on and get out the door. And then as a teenager, we become a little bit more self-conscious. Unbelievably self-conscious, in fact, if you're me. You know, we desperately want to impress people. Well, the other sexes. And, um, and we take our time. In the mirror, boys tend not to shower as a general rule, but um, you know, go upstairs, borrow dad's kind of pungent aftershave or you know body spray, and we just spray to get rid of any smell. You'd be pleased to hear that I did shower this morning. I think I did. Anyway, and then and then we have teenage acne. You know, spots start, and um, I don't know about you, but as a teenage boy, I actually quite like spots. In the sense that it was quite a competition to see how long it would take to squirt. You know, how, you know in the mirror you kind of lurk and they just kind of like... You know, and there were some that were really quite hardcore, you know, the blackhead ones. And they take a little bit more time. My mum used to say to me as a teenager, she said, Gareth, you've got to stop doing that. You've got to stop doing that. You're going to wake... You, one day you're going, to, you're going to find out as you look in the mirror you've got a really bad complexion. Well, I'm here to tell you today that I squoze all my spots... And I still have the complexion of a baby's bottom. <laughs> you know, as a teenager, you look in the mirror and you think, yeah, wow, you look good. You know, you're hot. And, and then as we get a little bit older, as, um, as, as we then get into a relationship, a committed relationship, we kind of like, you know, if you get married, you kind of spend a little bit less time with your looks. And... um. <laughs> You know, you don't take make as much effort in what you wear. And um, and your hair gets longer and longer. You don't groom it as much. You know, all you get you're bothered about is your overall body tan. Trust me, it's overall. We went surfing in California a few weekends, a weekend ago. And uh, yeah, anyway. And then the older we get the more we seem to get less bothered about our, our, our looks, don't we? You know, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an older person, so I'm told, and I'm remembering my grandfather at this point, um, as an older person, you don't really care, do you? You just kind of um, you just put your pants on, that's if you remember, and you just walk out the door. Now, of course, what we look like is often determined by our personality and the kind of stuff that we get into in our lives. And I think, you know, when I was a teenager, you know, the look that I have certainly reflected the kind of things that I was into. You know, in my, uh, my kind of like mid-teenage years, I was into heavy metal. This was before I became a Christian. I was into ACDC and Rainbow and Black Sabbath and, you know, everything I wore was denim. You know, the blue denim jeans, blue denim jacket, kind of like album cover kind of badges. And I had this long kind of like mullet kind of hair thing going on. And uh, I used to go to these concerts and, at 13 and kind of like bang my head. I got a really bad headache. Anyway, and that was what I was into and it reflected my, my identity. And a little bit later when I was becoming more self-conscious, um, you know, I, was, I went through my Miami Vice phase. And um, so I got rid of the denim and I was into my sort of like white um, pants, white waist jacket, peach shirt. And then, um, you know, espadrilles, you know, those kind of rope sandal type things. And then, uh, and then about two years later, I got into kind of the new romantics phase. And, um, and so when I, in my new romantics phase, I decided to kind of shave the back of my head, but have it permed on top. Seriously, I had big teenage issues about identity. You know, I'd wear these pointed shoes, and I'd have like a, a silver paisley shirt with a kind of, it's kind of glistened a little bit and it had a gold, a sort of glass brooch in the top corner. I mean, the things that we, the things that, are, that preoccupy our life, whether it's sport, music, TV shows, all reflect our identity, what, I, what we look like and how we behave. So how is living in the kingdom of God reflected in our identity? Now, I don't mean wearing, you know, sandals and socks and big wooden crosses and, you know, that earnest kind of Christian look. I am holy. You know, you see, as Christians, you know, those of us who are in Christ and Paul in the New Testament, you know, most of his letters, he's talking about what it means to be in Christ. You know, if if you want to find out what it means to be in Christ, take a look at the book of Ephesians. And, you know, in the New Testament, Paul Paul uses this phrase, in Christ or in him, over a hundred times. And um, and he works out what it means to be in Christ. You know, in Christ, I'm a new creation. When we become in Christ, we take on a different perspective for life. You know, the lens that we look through for our life is totally different. And it's the lens of the kingdom of God. And it's the kingdom of God that ought to preoccupy the things that we do and say. And that's what it means to become, to have a kingdom identity. Well, the beginning of our kingdom identity goes way back to the beginning of creation, which we find in Genesis chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis 1. But if you haven't, don't worry. The words should appear on the screen. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So right at the beginning, God creates His kingdom. His place. His domain. Creation. And then, as we go on in the rest of the Genesis account, God from His throne room calls into being His kingdom. On earth, creation. And he commands, let there be light, let there be trees, let there be plants, let there be birds, let there be fish in the sea, let there be peanut butter, all those good things that we live for. And then, in verse 26 of of Genesis chapter 1, God says this Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then in the Genesis 2 account of um, creation, in Genesis 2 verse 7, we read this. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And certainly here in the creation accounts, God's kingdom and in the in the creation accounts, God's kingdom and his people all come about by the Spirit of God. Right at the beginning of creation, Genesis one, the Spirit of God is brooding over the waters. The Spirit of God is right there, present before creation. And then the Spirit of God brings in the new life that is mankind. Even out of the dirt on the ground, God breathes his breath. And the word breath there is that word ruach, spirit, and mankind comes into being. And I don't know if you can imagine what that looks like, but I imagine, you know, God just kind of grabbing a piece of dirt and just kind of like molding it, shaping it into this kind of figurine, this kind of like image of himself, what he wants mankind to be like. And then he just breathes into this kind of piece of dirt, and it becomes living. And the first thing that man sees when he wakes up, having had the Spirit of God breathing into him, is the face of God looking right up at him, because God's just been breathing this new life into him. We're made in the image of God. But what does it mean, excuse me, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, in the ancient world, when a king conquered a territory, when he took some land from, um, from, um, from a neighboring country, he would erect a statue of himself in that land to say that this land now belonged to him. And likewise, God has made us in his image and placed us on this planet in his creation to say that this creation belongs to him. We're his image in the world. We're his presence in the world. And as Genesis 1.26 states, he then delegates his authority and his reign to us, his image bearers in the world. You are made in the image of God. Now just take a look around. Look around. Look at the images of God. Look at the people that God has made in His image, in His divine, supernatural nature. God has made you that way because He's given you a purpose for His creation. See, first point, our kingdom identity is to be God's presence in the world. Your kingdom identity is to be God's divine presence in the world. Do you see yourself as God's divine presence in the world. When we see it in the mirror in the morning or not, we're called to live a life of divine influence, to be the agents of God's kingdom in the world. And I'm going to say a little bit more about what that looks like next Sunday evening. God has given us His authority to rule with His reign on earth. But of course, for most of us, that's not our experience. You know, we, we, we kind of stumble through this life. Kind of like getting things wrong, screwing up in different ways, you know, messing other people up. You know, we're, we're all broken to different degrees. So why, why is it like that? Because that's not God's intention for His creation. That's not God's intention for His kingdom on earth. Well, let's go back to creation. And in Genesis 3, the account of the fall... Because here's where the problem lies. The serpent, Satan, who's represented by the serpent, comes to um, Eve and you know, challenges them. Challenges Adam and Eve and says, well, you know, did God really say you can't eat from the tree in the garden? And then Satan says, for God knows, in verse 5, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil, and the temptation of Satan to Adam and Eve is that they can be like God themselves. That they can be like God. And they too will have authority and dominion. And they too will have a kingdom of their own. And rather than living in that perfect relationship in the garden, walking with God, walking with each other in an intimate relationship, they now experience the breakdown of all those relationships. And isn't that true of our life experience today? You know, nation, warring against nation, dysfunctional families, destruction of communities and marriage breakdown. Adam and Eve yielded to the temptation of Satan and they rejected God's kingdom for the illusion of having their own. And in rebellion, they lost everything. The world that was designed to be ruled by them Was stolen by the devil. And you see, the irony is, the irony is that they already had dominion and authority that had been delegated to them by God. They were God's image bearers in the world, his royal representatives in the world. They already had the authority and they already had kingdoms, the kingdom of God. And the devil, time and time again, tries to rob and steal the intentions that God has had for mankind. And the devil still today tries to rob and steal the, the, the people that we have become in Christ and God's plan and purpose for your life and for my life. And since that time, the history of the Old Testament of the people of Israel has been an attempt at returning to that place of intimacy, of walking with God in his kingdom. And demonstrating and proclaiming his authority and his reign in creation. And man has failed to get back to the place of God's kingdom and our role in that kingdom. Which is why, which is why Jesus came. Mark chapter 1. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee, um, and was, he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved. With you I am well pleased. And right here, right at the outset of Jesus, before his ministry has begun, there is the affirmation of his identity. God the Father affirms who he is. As Jesus stood in the River Jordan, soaking wet, we hear the affirmation of his divine identity, the Son of God, which is a reference here to Psalm 2, in which God promises to place his Son, the anointed King, on Mount Zion. And from here, he'll rule over all the nations. So in announcing these words from heaven, God the Father affirms that Jesus was called to be the final anointed king who would bring about the reign and the rule of God, the kingdom of God. What I think is interesting about this um, passage is that God says, With you, I am well pleased. With you, I am well pleased. When Jesus hasn't even done anything yet. Jesus hasn't started his ministry. And he says, With you, I am I am well pleased. You see, before we even begin to think about what we're going to do with our lives, what our purpose is, you know, what we're going to do in church, whether we're going to serve in this ministry or that ministry, you know, where we what God wants to do in our families, what God wants us to do in the kingdom of God, God says, with you I am well pleased. If you're my son, if you're my daughter, if you're one of mine, with you I'm well pleased. Now, that doesn't mean we can sit on our fat butts and do nothing. But, that just shows the extravagant grace and the love that God the Father has lavished on us. As His children, He loves us because He loves us, 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 because He loves us. What we also see here in this account the beginning of Jesus' ministry, is that he's anointed for the task also. Immediately, the heavens opened and the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And here again, there are echoes of the Old Testament, of the royal identity and function. See, when King David was chosen, when King David, who was Jesus' first um, you know, model, when he was, he was the prototype of Jesus, when he was called to be Israel's next king, the prophet Samuel anointed him with oil, and the Spirit fell on him. Listen to this. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, rushed upon David from that day forward. From that day forward. And to me, that, that is a present tense, and, and it's, and it's, but it's also a continuous tense. That the, the presence of the Spirit of God was always with King David which is quite unique in the Old Testament. Is that your experience? That the Spirit of God is present daily in your life? That daily you're saying, Spirit of God, here I am. Come and fill me. Help me to further your kingdom. Help me to further your purposes and your plans in the world today. Help me to be your divine presence in my work with my family You know, um, in all the the relationships that I have, help me to be your divine presence, Spirit of God. You see, Jesus had always been in communion with the Holy Spirit. He was conceived by the Spirit and now at his baptism, he was filled and flooded with the Spirit of God. See, that's the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is the way of the Spirit. And in John's Gospel, Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders, comes to Jesus and he asks him, you know, how, come it, it is, how come it's that God is so powerful in you, that God seems to be so with you and there's so much authority that you have and you know, the demons flee and, and you, know, you all these miracles that are happening. And Jesus answers him and he says, truly, truly, I say, unless you're born again, you cannot, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, well, how can you be born again? And he says, you know, can you enter your mother's womb a second time to be born? And Jesus answers this: "Truly, I say, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God." See, our identity, our kingdom identity, comes through the anointing and empowering of the Spirit. You know, right at the right at the first uh, Peter's first. Um, preach at Pentecost, just after the Spirit of God has, has come at Pentecost and the disciples were doing what appeared to be very weird, kind of like type things. You know, Peter gets up and he explains what's happening. And in Acts 2, verse 38, he says to them, after he's just preached his first gospel presentation about the cross and the resurrection, he says, repent and, ba- and be baptised, every one of you, in the Spirit of God. Repent and be baptised in the Spirit of God. And if you've become a Christian then you have experienced that transforming nature that takes place, that transforming identity that we have as the image bearers, as God's people, as God's presence in the world. And that comes through the Spirit of God. Do you know who you are? Do you know that like Jesus, who is the Son of God, you're also a son of God? and a daughter, and that God has poured into you His Spirit. The sad thing is is that for a lot of Christians, we don't realize that the Spirit of God is living in us, that the Spirit of God is, is working in us, and sometimes we just don't allow the Spirit of God to work. You know, we like to keep control. You know, we like to rule our own lives rather than submit and hand over our own lives to God. You are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you live by the Spirit who forms you, who shapes you, who transforms you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God takes us back to that place of creation, that rest- wonderful restorative work of, of making us like Jesus, making us like God again. And I don't know about you, but There's stuff in my life that I know that I'm not happy with. And I know I need God to break in and to let Jesus take control of those areas of my life. And that's part of the work of the Spirit. Your kingdom identity, my kingdom identity, is deeply connected, founded and rooted in the redemptive, restorative work of Jesus. His life... His death on the cross and what God did by raising him to life, overpowering the powers of sin, death and Satan. And now God lives in every believer through the Spirit of God. What is your kingdom identity? When you look in the mirror, do you see yourself as someone who's called, who's created to be God's divine presence in the world, In Christ, in and through the power of the Spirit. You see, the way I see it is quite simple. There are two kingdoms. There's the devils, which might seem quite attractive at the time. And then there's God. And one leads to death and one leads to new life. And one leads to continuous hurt, pain, anxiety and brokenness. And the other, God's, leads to healing Restoration, life to the full, purpose, joy, and hope. And which would you choose? I don't know if you um, like going to the movies, but um, I like going to the movies. And um, when you um, when you go to the movies, you can usually tell what's coming up by um, um, by the music that they play. You know, if uh, um, if you've um, imagine imagine with me if you will um there's a a beautiful young woman and a beautiful young man and um it's kind of um it's the sun's just kind of setting and they're walking in the woods and the music begins to play but then there's another scenario where it's So, which would you choose? If there was two paths, would you go down the you know, the one that leads to possibly death? Or the one that frolicking in the woods? I mean, let's all frolic. Come on. There are two paths. One that's bad news and one that's good news and the restorative work that Jesus did on the cross reinstating us bringing us back to be God's presence in the world his representatives to be his kingdom agents pushing back the darkness and chaos in a broken world is now at hand it's now it's not some future kind of you know thing that's going to happen when Jesus returns it's now you know, when, when, we look at, when we look at the Gospels and we look at the life of Jesus, he operated in the fullness of the Spirit. He operated in the fullness of the Spirit that, that meant he could heal, that he could preach, that he could cast out demons, that he could set people free and bring people to a place of hope and joy and happiness. And that's what God calls you and me to He calls us to a kingdom identity that is a life to be God's representatives in the world. And this week, God wants that for you. In fact, for the rest of your life, that's what God has always intended. God's intention by the power of the Spirit is to affirm you as who you are. God's sons and daughters daughters adopted into His family through what Christ has done on the cross. Having all the same privileges as Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that just nuts? That God gives us the same privileges as his son Jesus. Here on earth. Right now. In the power of the spirit. Why don't we send? Um, why don't we, could we just stack away the first front row of chairs? The, sorry, the first three rows, if that's okay. You know, at this church and at, um, at um, St. Mary's in London, you know, we really believe that, um, that when the Word of God has been preached, that we need to give time and space for God the Spirit to come and kind of seal that Word, but also to come and move in power to transform our lives. And that's what the Spirit of God does. The Spirit of God transforms our lives into the likeness of God. And um, what we're going to do, we've got a, um, a little bit of time just to wait on God. You know, in the, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, we read that the disciples, when Jesus, um, when Jesus was raised to life, he told them to go and wait into Jerusalem. And so that the Spirit of God would come and dwell in them, live in, in them. See, The wonderful thing is, you know, when God restores us, He restores us to a better place. And, um, you know, at creation, Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. But now, God lives in us by the Spirit. So it's it's just taken on another level. So why don't we just um, close our eyes. You might want to just hold your hands out to say, God, I'm here. God, I want what you've got for me. God, I want to know you more. And I'm going to pray. And it might be that, um, that we might pray for some people in, in a couple of particular ways today. But I just invite you that if you're a Christian, I'd just invite you, to, well, if you're not a Christian, it doesn't really matter. I'd invite you to say, God, I'm here. If you, whatever you've got for me, I want it.